Well, there's some big questions that we can ask in life, aren't there? Some big questions that um, you might have asked and you might have felt yourself and, 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 and faced yourself. Questions like, will you marry me? That's a big question, isn't it? Questions like, will you accept this job offer? Questions like, will you accept this offer on this house? Or maybe you'd ask those questions. Big questions that can help us to define our life, really. But I want to ask two big questions as we start to look at this psalm today. The first question is this. Why do we exist? That's a big one, isn't it? Why are we here? Why are we on this planet? What is the meaning of life? Well, back in the 17th century, there were some discussions and arguments between uh, the churches in England and Scotland. So to try and help and sort all of this out, they had a big meeting of all the church leaders to come and talk about what they believed and why they believed it. And they write, wrote down all the things that they believed that the Bible taught. And they kind of summarized it into the Westminster Confession. And to do that, to help them to go through that, they also wrote the Westminster uh, Catechism, which is questions and answers. That's all that catechism means, questions and answers. And again, to help even more, they wrote a shorter catechism, which is really for children to help them to learn all these amazing things that the Bible teaches. So the shorter catechism was what um, the church used ages ago to sum up what they believed. And the first question to that shorter catechism was this. What's the chief end of man what is the reason we're here what's our big purpose what's life all about and this is the the answer that they came up with to summarize that the chief end of man so our big purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever glorify God and enjoy him forever that is that means this we don't exist for ourselves, but we exist for someone else. It's not about us, it's about him. We exist to bring glory to God. We exist to enjoy God, to enjoy his glory. Now, when you think of what does it mean to glory in something or bring glory to something? Well, when you glory in something, you are enjoying that thing for what it is. You're enjoying its beauty or its magnificence. Um, and that leads you to adore it, to glory in it. You enjoy this thing in and of itself. And not because of anything that it'll give to you necessarily. You don't do enjoy it or glorify it to get something. But you do it in order uh, just to glory in it. So to, to show what that means, this is how one writer points it out. And this resonated with me because I experienced it. Uh, as some of you will know, I studied music in university, and so to get uh, to study music, you have to listen to music. But often, I would listen to pieces of music, and the reason I was doing it was to write an essay. So I had to write an essay about a piece of music, and then I'd give that essay in, and I'd hopefully get a good mark. Now, why was I writing that essay to get a good mark? Hopefully, because I'd get a degree at the end of it. Why do people get degrees? Why do we get degrees? To get a job, ultimately to get money. You know, so I was listening to that music, really, to use it to help me to get a degree and a job, etc. Okay? But now I'm finished with studying music, I can hear those same pieces. And instead of listening them for what I can get out of them, I can just enjoy them, listen to the beauty of them. I'm not getting anything out of it, except for just enjoying it. Now, in the same way, you might go up a mountain and you'd see a beautiful view. You're not getting anything out of it or getting any money from it. You're just enjoying it, the sunset or the stars. 
We're enjoying it. We're adoring it. We're glorying in it. So when we think about bringing glory to God, what is our chief end? It's to behold Him, to enjoy Him. He created us to see the most beautiful, glorious being there is, Himself. And we were created to marvel at Him and enjoy Him. So we need to keep that in the background as we come to this psalm. The big question that we're starting with is, well, why do we exist? To glorify God, to enjoy Him forever. But then we can ask this second question, why does the church exist? Why are we here as a church? Well, when we bring that together with that other question, well, we, bring, we are here to bring glory to God and to enjoy Him together. We want to glorify God to the world around us. We want to enjoy God together and help each other to enjoy Him. That is, we want to look on who He is, get to know Him better, get to see Him as He is, and to enjoy Him. And as we enjoy Him, as we see what He's like, do you know what we want to do? We won't want to keep that to ourselves. We want to share it. We want others to join in with us. So, there are two big questions to start with, but I wanted us to think of that before we come to look at this short psalm. Why do we exist? We exist to bring glory to God, to glorify God and enjoy Him. Why do we exist as a church? To enjoy Him and glorify Him together. Now, let's look at this psalm and see how this, that background can help us to understand what's going on here. Because there's two verses, but they really help us to see as a, as a, a church, to ask the question, well, why are we here? What are we all about? What's our mission? What's our goal? Well, we're going to see that together. So, the first thing we're going to ask is this. What is the goal of our mission? Just checking it is working. The goal of our mission. As I said, two verses. You could learn this psalm in not much time at all. You could read it in even less time. But when we see what's going on here, it can help us to really focus about our life and all that we do. See, here is our goal. Because we are given a command here. Listen to this command, verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. It's saying this. Everyone in the world, come and enjoy, bring glory to, praise and worship God. Everybody, all people, all nations, come and behold him. Come and see how great he is. And that's a theme we see coming up again and again in the Psalms. Let me read a few. Psalm 45 says this, I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations, therefore nations will praise you forever and ever. Psalm 46 verse 10, which I know is a lot of people's favorite verse here, be still and know that I am God, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Or Psalm 86, all the nations you've made shall come before you to worship you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Psalm 96, declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous works among all the peoples. So the picture that's given there is this big invitation for everybody, come and enjoy and glorify God. Come and know what you will live, what you were made for, and what will give you true life. Come and experience his greatness, see who he is, see what he's like, and enjoy him. So how does that help us with this question of what is our mission, what's the goal? Well, one writer put it like this. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. So mission and sharing the gospel with others 
is us inviting people to come and worship God. So the only reason mission exists is because worship doesn't. The goal of mission is to make God's name great. We want people to see what he's like. We want people to see how great he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is, how holy he is, how just he is, so that people will see what he's like and join in together and worship him. And that, who is that for? That is for all peoples and all nations. We're called to come and worship God. That's the invitation in verse 1. Praise the Lord, all nations, come and see what he's like. Extol him, bring glory to him, all peoples. Come on. What is our goal? For people to see God and what he's like. But notice who we're called to um, enjoy here. Praise the Lord, verse 1. That's capital L-O-R-D. That is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. That is the God who made the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God who keeps his promises, the covenant God, this is the one we're calling to worship. Not just some God who we can make up, but the God who has revealed himself and shown himself to his people. That's who we're inviting people to come and enjoy. The God of Abraham. And when you think of the God of Abraham, God came to Abraham and he said, Abraham, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All nations will praise you. He told him then. And so this invitation for all nations to come and praise and worship God is part of the overflow and the outworking of God's promise to Abraham. Look, nations. Look, everyone. Look how great God is. It's always been God's goal to get the good news about who he is and what he's like out, not just to a small group of people, but to all nations. This is a wide invitation. So the, the goal of our mission is to show how great God is so that people all around will worship and praise him. Now, interestingly, when we come to the New Testament, Paul quotes this psalm in Romans 15. Let me read the passage to show how Jesus fulfills this. In Romans 15, verse 8, it says this, I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised, that is, to the Jews, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. So Paul's saying there, what is he saying? This is why Jesus came. Jesus came in order to show these promises, in order to invite people to enjoy him. He came to make it possible for those who weren't Jews to glorify God. He came to invite those from all over the world to come and know him. That's why in Revelation 7, which is a picture of heaven, it tells us, John looks up and he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And what were they singing? Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. See, that's the big goal, is worship of God, enjoying God, seeing who he is, praising his name, and Jesus makes it possible. Jesus makes it possible. The ultimate goal is for all nations to be praising and worshiping God. Now, when why are we looking at these psalms at this time of the year? Well, the reason we're looking at them is because these are part of the group of psalms that were called the Hallel Psalms, which is what Jews would have sung at the time of Passover. And in Mark's Gospel, it tells that Jesus sang with his disciples. 
And so when we put that together, we realize the songs that Jesus sang the night before he was arrested, uh, the night before he was killed, were these songs. So in Jesus' mind, as he was singing with his disciples, he knew what was about to come. He was singing these words. Do you see what, how, what difference that makes? As Jesus was going out to know he was facing the cross, he would have just sung, praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. Now, Jesus was going to the cross in order to make it possible for all peoples to come to know and enjoy God. Remember, in the Old Testament, to know God, you have to become one of God's people. You had to go to a specific place, to a specific people, uh, to take part in the specific ceremonies and feasts in the temple. You have to go there to meet with God and to know God. You have to go to the temple. But when Jesus died on the cross, if you read in Mark's Gospel, do you remember what happened in the temple? There was a temple curtain which blocked where God dwelt and God's people. That was torn in two from top to bottom. It's God's big way of announcing, look now, the curtain is opened and a way to God is made clear. Jesus has made it possible. So as Jesus was singing these words, he was going to the cross and he knew to make it possible for all nations to come, I need to go. So all nations could be welcomed, I'm going to have to be rejected by my Father. I'm going to bear the weight of those who trust in me so that they can come to know him. So here is Jesus singing these words, bearing the weight of what it would mean, making access to God possible. And then three days later, Jesus rises again. And after rising again, uh, he spends 40 days teaching his disciples and showing them uh, who he was and why he'd come. And at the end of that time, he says this, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Go, tell them the good news is here. God has come and he has made it possible for everybody to be invited to see how great he is and to glory in him. So what is the goal of our mission? It's to invite people to praise and worship God and see who he is. Mission exists because worship doesn't. We want people to see how great God is. How do they see how great God is? We show them Jesus. We point them to him because he makes it possible for all people to come. So if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, do you see what this is saying? God is inviting you. Come and see, he says. See how great I am. See what I've done. See my love and care towards you. And as you come and experience him and taste him, as we're going to see in a moment, then you're going to go out and tell that to other people. But God is inviting you this morning. Whatever your background, whatever you've done, he invites you to come. Don't turn him away. He's inviting you right now. And Jesus, as he sung these words, was going to the cross to make it people, possible for people from all nations to come. Isn't it amazing to think where did that happen to Jesus? Well, it happened in Jerusalem. Where are we? Well, we're not in Jerusalem now. We were in Wales. The gospel has made its way over here. And you've heard, because somebody listened to those words where Jesus said, go, tell the nations. We are one of those nations. Jesus wasn't Welsh. <laughs> We've heard as the news has been passed on and people have gone and sacrificed. They have seen the goal. Come on, see how great he is. Join in. And we're part of that. And now we're called to go. Go and share. Go and tell people of who he is and what he's done. So the goal of our mission is seen in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Worship him together. But secondly, 
And finally, because it's a short Saham, let's look at this. What's the fuel of our mission? How can we go? How can we go and enjoy and share this message? That's the big goal, is for all nations to praise and worship the Lord. And it's the job of God's people to get the message out to the nations. To show people who don't know Jesus what it is. Well, look at verse 2. What does it say? For, what's the motive behind it all? Great is his steadfast love towards us. And the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. What's the motive behind getting this message out? Well, it's saying, I, I realize that God's great love is wonderful. Praise the Lord. Why? Because of your amazing love towards us, your steadfast love, and because of your faithfulness. So can you see what's happening? The people who are receiving God's love and acknowledging and enjoying his faithfulness are so amazed and in awe of what he's done for them that they are that part of this mission to get this message out. So fueling, kind of the motive for mission is two things, an amazement of God's love and an amazement of his faithfulness. Can you see that there? For great is his steadfast love. What amazes the people of God here? This love that is great. Now the word great there, sometimes we can use that word and it, it means something different to what this word means. We can use great as, oh, that's great news, or that's a great pizza or that's um, great whatever it is you know that we can use it and it doesn't really mean much but this word here great means conquering means um, getting over uh, victorious over others so here is a steadfast love that is bigger than greater than that conquers everything see when we see, look at the old testament we see that god made a promise he promised to send someone to rescue this world the king, the rescuer, the deliverer, the Messiah. And time and time again, we look through this storyline of the Bible and it looks like there's a dead end. It looks like, well, how is God going to work here? But God's love conquers. He's promised because he loves the world so much that he would send a saviour. And so nothing could get in the way of God's covenant promise. Do you realize today God's love for you is a love that is great? It conquers all. Nothing can stop it. Nothing can get in his way. Here's a God whose love that cannot be defeated. There's a, a New Testament version of this verse, and it's seen in Romans 8. Let me read this for you. Now, I know this can be very familiar, but listen to how God's love conquers all. Romans 8 says this. What should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is a great, steadfast love. 
it conquers everything and nothing can stop God's love. Think on that for a moment. Nothing can get in the way of God's love for you. Nothing can stop his love for you. Not the darkness you're in, not the sin you're entangled in, not the doubts that you have, not the sickness that you experience, not even death. His love is great, and you are safe in his love. What fuels our mission? When we taste that love, we want others to experience it as well. We are amazed at his steadfast love. But you see as well, secondly, great is his steadfast love towards us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. What thrills the psalmist is that God's faithfulness will never run out. You can depend on him. He, can, he is guaranteed never to fail you. I remember when we moved house, or when we bought a house, it was, you learned so many new things you didn't really know anything about before, didn't you, when you have to move house. One of the things was this. We had a guarantee with a company for some work that was done in the house. But here's a problem. If the guarantee is 20 years long, but the company ceased to exist after 10 years, what happens then? You've got a problem. Because the, the guarantee, well, who do you turn to? But you can pay for an insurance that covers you for the whole length of the guarantee. So even if the company doesn't exist, you still have the guarantee in place. Who knew? Well, there we go. Those kind of things exist. But you see, with God, he promises to be faithful and never let us down. And we don't have to pay extra to guarantee. What if he isn't there? What if he doesn't exist? No, he's there for us and he is faithful and true forever. He will never let us down and we can always depend on him. Someone we can totally trust in. And in this world where we know we let each other down, we know we fail, we know that we are um, often hurt by others, here is somebody who will never let us down. We are secure in his faithfulness. Trust in him. And as we taste that faithfulness, as we taste of this steadfast love, then that is the fuel for us to go out and say, look, let me tell of this. Now remember, when we think about who sung these psalms, we think of Jesus singing this psalm. Jesus, just before he was going to be arrested, just before he was going to be betrayed, Jesus sung these words. As he walked out into the darkness of Gethsemane, as he experienced injustice of the, uh, that uh, illegal courtroom, as he experienced the pain of being hit and beaten, as he experienced the ridicule of walking through Jerusalem, stripped, as he faced the pain of his beard being plucked and the crown of thorns being shoved on his head, as he experienced that, he knew he's just sung. There's a love that conquers all. There's a love that is worth it. He experienced and knew that there was a love greater than death, a love greater than all that led to his resurrection. That's the savior we have. He experienced the death for us, but also it shows that he loves us this much that he was willing to go through it for us. Perhaps today you're doubting God's love for you. You're doubting God's love is big enough. Think, really, in my situation, does he still love me? Does he still care? When we look at Jesus, he proves that God keeps his promises. Even when it looks like a dead end, even when it looks like death has defeated him. No, love conquers all, and he won. Jesus and his death on the cross brings these things into sharp focus. 
looked like it on Good Friday, didn't it? It looked like it was defeated. It looked like there was no hope. But Jesus rose again. Defeat turned to victory. God's love is great. It conquers. Maybe in your life you think God's love has come to an end. Maybe in your life there's a situation that is there and you think, well, is there any hope? Remember the love of Jesus. Remember his death, that he went through that because he loved you so much. He didn't have to. He could have run. He could have fled. But he stayed. What's going to drive us to to accomplish the mission, which is to share the greatness of God with those around us? It's when we taste the greatness of those words. Great is his steadfast love towards us, his conquering love. And wonderful is his faithfulness, because it endures forever. When we taste those things, and when they become real in our hearts, we will share them. C.S. Lewis, in his reflections on the Psalms, um, helps explain this a bit. So I'll just share a bit of what he says to, to help us. He says this, all enjoyment spontaneously overflows into praise. When you enjoy something, you will praise it. It's inevitable. And you have probably done it this week. Have you walked past somebody and said, oh, this weather's lovely. Do you remember we had it? It was, about, I think, about 20 minutes this week. It was nice. And it was warm. So, oh, it's nice to see the sun. We praise, we praise or we enjoy. When you've tasted something nice, when you've watched something you've enjoyed, when you've read something that is good, when you've talked to somebody who you've enjoyed being with, you want to tell others, you want to praise. It is natural that we will want to share it. You hear a piece of music. You play a game. And you think, come and see this. Watch this. We praise things we enjoy. And C.S. Lewis goes on to say this. Just as we spontaneously praise whatever we value, so we spontaneously urge others to join in. We want others to experience what we've experienced. And not only that, as we want people to taste or touch or see what we've enjoyed, praise, he says, doesn't merely express, but completes the enjoyment. Our joy is not complete until somebody else enjoys it with us. Isn't that true? When you find something funny, I don't know if you do this, do you look at whoever you're watching TV with to see if they're laughing as well? You want to enjoy it together. When you've tasted something, you want to try it. Come on, and you can enjoy it more when somebody else enjoys it with you. So when you take that principle, can you see what happened, what we're being told here? If we truly grasp the wonder and the amazement of our God and the gospel, as we see what Jesus has really done for us, our response will be, I want to tell other people. And actually, as we tell others, there is a great joy to be had in sharing the gospel. We don't do this because we have to. We do it because when we see what God has done for us, when we see Jesus as he is, when we look at the cross and the resurrection and see how amazing that is, we will want others to join in with us. (coughs) So as a church, what is our goal? What do we want? We want to enjoy Jesus more so that naturally we want to tell others more. We want to encourage each other to keep our eyes on him. And our fuel for sharing the gospel is enjoyment and glorying in God and what he's done for us. Now here's the reality. We find it hard, don't we, to tell people about Jesus. We find it hard to do this as our mission. And the truth is, is because often we're not amazed by who Jesus is. He's not real to us as we know he could be. So what do we do? Do we give up? I know this morning we repent and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. Sorry that my heart has grown cold. I'm sorry that I've taken my eyes off you. I'm sorry that other things seem much more attractive. And let's pray. What a time of year to pray. Lord, this week. 
as we come to the focus of you showing us your steadfast love and faithfulness of the cross and the resurrection, please, would you fan my heart into flame for a love for you so that we can love others, so that we can share it with others. Fill our hearts with awe and praise and worship for others. Let's pray that this week, as we extol God, as we praise Him, we invite others to join and many others would see his greatness. As we close, if you're not a Christian this morning, you were invited to join in this. Why do you exist? You exist to bring glory to God, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. That's why we're made. And Jesus makes it possible for you to enter into that relationship with God. That's why he came. That's why Easter is here. He died so you could be forgiven. He rose again so you could be sure that you can trust in everything he said turn to him today. He won't let you down. His love conquers all. His faithfulness is forever. Turn to him, trust, and lean on him. Let's pray together as we uh, close. Father, we ask, please, that today our hearts would realize how worthy you are of praise, and that we would taste of who you are and what you've done for us, and we would want others to join in with us. Please, Lord, make the gospel real to us afresh this week, we ask, as a church that we would have the goal of our mission clear and the fuel for our mission ignited again. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing our last.